You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Welcome to the final episode of season five of the RN Mentor podcast. I am super excited today to be joined by Dr. Kimberly Long. She is a highly accomplished senior healthcare executive and consultant with more than 30 years of success in education, healthcare, community services, and executive mentoring and coaching. Leveraging her extensive experience in healthcare facility turnaround and change management, Dr. Long has been an asset for healthcare and financial institutions seeking expert assistance with substandard performance from a strategic financial and operations perspective and aligning all aspects. Her key areas of expertise include healthcare consulting, executive leadership and coaching, organizational leadership, business development, strategy, growth, strategic planning for organizational culture transformation, and business process improvement. Dr. Long is the Chief Executive Officer for the Association of California Nurse Leaders, and she is retired from her role as Chief Executive Officer for Vibra Hospital of Sacramento. Dr. Long has been recognized with numerous personal awards, including Community Service Awards, Lifetime Achievement Awards, Woman of the Year, Excellence in Nursing Leadership, Excellence in Clinical Care Quality, and Alumni Icon. Dr. Long is a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives. Welcome to the show, Dr. Long. Thank you. It's good to be here. So good to have you. Uh, I'm very excited. Oh my God, they're like these... Uh, these accolades are incredible. Uh, so, and you have done pretty much almost every job in the world of nursing. <laughs> yeah, and senior leadership, all except the CFO. <laughs> that's that's awesome. I'm looking at, and you know, I'm looking at, I'm just reading your bio and looking at the different specialty areas that you have practiced. It's amazing. And you've actually done other work that's really, uh, like, really made you, like, the expert in, in nursing leadership and the organizational structure. And that's where you are now. You're a nursing leader in that or in an organizational structure. Um, so before we get into all the details of what you've done, uh, how did you get started in the world of nursing? It's really an interesting story, but I'll make it very succinct. I was a teen parent. I was divorced with two children by the time I was 19. And my mother was a vocational rehabilitation counselor with the state of California. And she had a conversation with me pretty much. And her perspective was you need to have an occupation that's going to sustain you and the kids. And so her philosophy was either food service, mortuary science, or healthcare. Because people are going to eat, they're going to die, and they're going to get sick. Wow. Yeah. 
So I ruled out mortuary science <laughs> and uh, food service. I did not feel would utilize my full potential. So I decided to go into healthcare. Um, nursing was not initially my area of choice, but after talking with my sister who was an RN, she said, we'll give it a shot. So the long and the short of it was I went to nursing school so that I could take care of my children. And then over time, I grew to love it because I've always have a, had a, a serious love for people. But I did not have a serious affinity towards body fitness. <laughs> so I had to get over that and let my love of people supersede my uh, lack of affinity towards body fitness. <laughs> I, don't know if it, I don't know if any of us get into it because of the body <laughs> fluids part but but I appreciate that I appreciate that so how did you decide like you're going to so you're going to um what kind of program you were going to go into since you weren't uh you're rather young and uh and uh how did you decide like what kind of program you're going to go into and where are you going to apply you know, and I was living in Bakersfield at the time, and initially I was going into the LVM program, and I happened to speak to an academic counselor, and they told me that all I had to do was do one additional semester, and I could be an RN. And so I thought, well, you know what? I'll go ahead and go to RN school. So I actually went to community college wow. and got an associate degree in nursing um, and went to work in night shift as a um, labor and delivery and uh newborn nursery nurse. One of my um, instructors hired four of us and I was oh, wow. one of the four right out of school. And then I started out there. Um, I kind of needed a little bit more excitement. And so I decided to go to a uh, internship program at Good Samaritan Los Angeles. And so mm -hmm. I packed up my children and, and my grandmother and we moved <laughs> down to Los Angeles and I went to that internship. I was down there for a little while. And while I was there, I worked uh, pediatric ICU at Children's Hospital Orange County. And then my mom and my sister, who were in Stockton, said, you know, you don't need to be down there with granny and the kids by yourself. Why don't you come up here? Because they were in Stockton. So I packed the kids up and got a job and moved up to Stockton. And things just kind of went from there. Um, but you've moved up. You moved with your... Um with your education further, uh, what made you decide that higher education or higher levels of education was the route that you were going to go? Um, because your initial motivation is like, I just need to have a job so I can take care of the family, right? Like what was the motivation for you to go, you know what, now I've done that, but now I wanna go this extra step. Someone told me I wasn't qualified for a charge nurse job. Mm. And that was all it took. <laughs> <laughs> and so I decided to go for my bachelor's degree. And once I got going, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to keep on going because I did not ever want anyone to tell me that I wasn't qualified for something. So I got the bachelor's degree and I took two, excuse me, six months off. Mm. And I went back for the master's. And then I thought, you know what? I've been very fortunate because not a lot of teen parents have the opportunity to excel academically this way. And so I need to show them that they can go all the way. 
And so I decided to go back and get a doctorate degree because I felt like if, if I can carve that initial path for them, then at least they'll know that they can do it. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I, I, those, those are, those are some of the motivating words that get me to do things too, is, uh, I, I finished, uh, I think I've shared with this, with the listeners before I did not do very well in high school. Uh, and my path, I graduated and, but I ended up, I ended up joining the military, loved the military, knew I was going to go into military, just did not excel in high school. Um, and, uh, when I was about to get out of the military, a family, a uh, friend uh, had talked to my mom and said, don't let him get out of the military because he's not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. So those words motivated me <laughs> to, to make sure I get my, my act straight when I left the military. Um, but, but yeah, but those are always, uh, and the reason I actually got my doctorate other than the IOM report on the future of nursing, that was one of the things that kind of sparked it a little light in my head, but it was also, I never wanted to be in a position where my degree was going to stop me from moving forward in mm. what I, what I knew I could do, but degree was not going to allow me to do it. Now that I have a PhD, I'm running into issues where like, well, now you don't have a postdoc. I'm like, come on. <laughs> yeah. It's like, look, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I, I have a wife, two kids, mortgage, uh, I'm almost 50. I, I'm like, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not yeah. taking it. I'm not taking another pay cut. <laughs> no. And you know what else? I actually paid off my student loan. Oh, wow. That's great. I that's... paid it off and I had actually made it through the bachelor's degree without borrowing anything. Mm. But then the master's and the doctorate, I had to Right. And so, cause I had, I was trying to, you know, do kids in college and all this other kind of stuff. And I, I said, I'm paying, I'm going to pay this back, you know? So I paid it off three years ago. I paid on that thing for 20 years, wow. but I paid the thing off. And I said, I won't be making yeah. another debt like that. I'm done. <laughs> right. Right. That's just, that's just, yeah. I, I, I always wonder, I always, you know, think about, you know, uh, you know, and some a few, few people have said that like nursing is one of the few professions that the higher your degree, the lower your pay tends to get. I'm like, <laughs> yes. they're, they're, they're in conflict of each other. Uh, but, um, but hopefully, I'm, I'm hopeful at some point we'll, we'll change that where, um, where degree is not adversely affecting your paycheck, right? Exactly. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Self-actualization Maybe... only goes so far. Exactly. At some point, we'll have to sit down and you can tell me how you paid off all your... your okay. Goals. That might be its own uh, podcast special. At some point, I had to pay off your student loan. You know, the funny thing about it is when I paid it off, I got a letter from Navient, was the, the, who owned it at the time. And they said, it's so rare that people pay off their student loans. Will you write us out how you did that <laughs> so i wrote out a little thing of how i did it <laughs> oh that's great that's awesome well congratulations on paying off your student loans well, thank you <laughs> all right uh so uh you've uh but you know so you've gone through you've, you've you did the academic thing um but you've gone on and you've held some some rather high uh leadership roles uh, with within organizations that aren't necessarily always uh, 
um, achievable, right? A lot of us like get to a certain point and that's like we max out. Uh, how did you, what was your drive or opportunity uh, to get to like the, like the, CEO position or the vice president for clinical services or your CNO position, how did you, was that a conscious decision on your part or was that uh, you're at the right place at the right time with the right qualifications? It didn't start out as a conscious decision. The way it started out was um, I was actually a charge nurse in the cardiovascular ICU Mm. and the CEO of the hospital sent for me. And I thought, I couldn't think about what I did, but I knew I was going to get fired, but I didn't know why, because I didn't do anything. But anyway, she sent for me, and apparently she had heard my name a few times, and they were getting ready to start a sickle cell treatment center for adults. Mm. And she said, I want you to do this. Now, I knew nothing about sickle cell, but I said, okay, because you didn't say no to Sister Ruth Brady Nickerson. You just did not. And so I said, okay. And that afternoon, I was sitting with the uh, senior vice president for research and development, and we were putting together this program. And I said, well, what I'm going to need to do is go to these different places and learn about this disease. So I did a self-study thing. I learned about the disease. I went to the different clinics because they didn't have an adult treatment center in that area. They had pediatric, but the kids didn't have anywhere to go after they hit 18. And so, of course, their hospitalization was going up. Long story short, I identified two physicians, a hematologist and an internal medicine physician, and asked them if they would be the medical directors. And then I learned how to put this program together. I had no assistance, no secretary support, no nothing. I was putting the charts together myself, everything. And Um, I ended up with a caseload of 200. Uh, I covered a region of, it was probably a couple of hundred miles north and south of where we were. And I went back to them and I said, if you all will put me through nurse practitioner school, then I'll take care of these patients myself. Mm. And so they put me through most of, they paid most of, not all, but most of my expense related to school and gave me the time off. I went and got my nurse practitioner master's that way. And when I graduated and got my license, then I was the primary care provider and I was the person who they referred the patients to. So I was the specialist under the supervision of these two physicians. Now they had their own practice. So it was almost like they were there when I called them, but I was kind of on my own. I had the clinic and then they would call me when the patients came into the ED and I would go over there. I was at that time, the only nurse practitioner that had privileges at that hospital. Wow. Um, After that, then sister called me again and she said, we're getting ready to build a cardiovascular center and we want you to head up that project. But I was still doing sickle cell. So that afternoon, I was over in there with the architects and it just sort of went that way. We got the 100 bed, um, it started out as a hospital within the hospital and it ended up being a cardiovascular tower. But I got through the uh, major planning of that. We got the cath lab recovery area built. We got the parking lot up. I got the recruitment of the surgeons and all that stuff finished. I brought in a Da Vinci robot. We added the Batista procedure. We did embolization in the cath lab for uterine tumors. We did the uh, 
endovascular stent, um, AAA repair. So I brought a lot of new um, technologies and new services in. And so we really started making money then because we're the only ones in the Valley doing that. Um, and then they got ready to change the position to a chief operating officer. And they put me in an interview state and then they selected another person. Mm. And I was not happy about that because yeah. when I took over that area, they were at a negative 12% profit margin. And when I, when they posted the position, they were at a positive 33%. Plus we had new technologies. I raised the money for those things. And we were getting, we had gotten the top 100 award for MI care, top 100 for cardiovascular surgery. Top, I mean, there was just awards coming in. So it wasn't as if I couldn't do the job. Right. I was doing it, but for some reason they chose somebody else. So at that point I said, you know what, maybe my ascension here has hit its peak. Got it. So I took a risk and I said, you know what, maybe I'll do some interim work. So I did an interim job as a chief nursing officer at a hospital in the Bay. And then I got a call from a hospital in the Valley wanting me to be their VP of patient care services. I took that job. The hospital system around the corner contacted me and offered me the CNO job. I went ahead and took that. I did that for a little while. And, you know, it's like once you get the title on your resume, then it's easy to continue to get that. Right. Um, I was a CNO at local and system levels for, I think, about 11, 12 years or so. And then I got a call about a chief operating officer position, which I knew by this time it was deliberate. Because what I saw was the chief nurse had a lot of responsibility, but not a, a, the equal amount of authority. Right. And I thought, you know what, something has to give on this because oftentimes, the CNO reported to the COO, who was a non-clinician. And it was very difficult to get what you needed. So I would not accept a CNO job that accept that reported to the COO. I just wouldn't do it. It was just, it was going to make it way too hard. Right. <laughs> I said, I, you want me to do this job. I have all of these people that I'm responsible for. And the hospital won't do well if the nursing division doesn't run well and isn't efficient. So I just wouldn't take it. So anyway, I got the COO offer. I went ahead and accepted that. And based on my time at the hospital, you know, I started out as a CNA and now I was a CNO. And I said, I have a different idea on how a hospital should be run. I did not think there was too much distance between the knowledge of the CEO who was making the decision and what was going on at the point of service. It was just too much distance. And for some reason, it seemed like the CEOs were afraid to go out there and look and see what was going on and actually talk to people. We got this, this obligatory queen wave when people walk through and they would say they were rounding, but they really didn't have their finger on the pulse of what was going on. So I thought, you know what, if I ever get a chance to run a hospital, I'm gonna run it the way I think it should be run. I'll see if it works. If it doesn't work, no harm, no foul. If it does work, Maybe we'll learn some things. So I actually applied for the CEO position at Viber. I had that one and there was another one at a public hospital that I got offered at the same time. But I chose the Viber one 
because it was a small specialty hospital. And I said, I don't have all the politics as that I would have at this other one. So I can run this hospital the way that I think it should be run. When I took it over, they were the worst performing hospital in the system. Um, people would not contract with them for services. The turnover weight was through the roof and the patient care quality was horrid. And we, I went in in scrubs and I worked with the staff and showed them how to take care of patients. Mm. And they were just blown away because I was in there giving baths and changing poop and you name it, washing teeth and doing all kinds of trait care and you name it. Because I said, you all have to see how this is done. And I want you to see how I want it to look. And the only way to really know what they were facing and, you know, kind of understand their work environment was to go out there and work with them. And I had to do it at the beginning before they knew that I was the CEO. I mean, they knew, but they didn't like, no, you know, right. um, bottom line was the bar got set differently. I had to read them the riot act a couple of times. Um, but I was there for a little, almost five years, about year two and a half. Actually, we got the best, the most improved hospital year one. And then we got best performing hospital year two. I had my heart surgery year three, things dropped down and then came back in and restored it again. And, and you know, the, the last two years I was there, we exceeded our budget by double digit millions as wow. far as uh, net revenue. Um, we started getting contracts with the big health, larger health systems. People wanted to bring their patients there. We contracted with a hospitalist group and a critical care group that were tremendous. And things just went really well and the hospital still doing well. So what I concluded from that was that the things that I learned coming up through the ranks and put together on how a hospital should be run, it worked. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, I love the fact that um, you brought that experience with you because sometimes you feel like the people that are sitting in the positions, in the formal positions of power, like they sometimes lose touch with what it was like to be at the bedside. Mm -hmm. uh, and I like the fact that you never forgot that. And when you did take that top role, you went back and you said, I'm going to put on scrubs and I'm going to show you how it's done. And this is my expectation. Because this one of the issues I have when non-nurses oversee nursing. It happens a lot in ambulatory care settings. Uh, and I just because they don't know what they don't know and they don't know the role of nursing and the practice of nursing. So unless you're going to be super hands-on and super like intuitive, you're not going to know what nursing is going to be capable of. So the fact that you brought your experience with you through the ranks and didn't forget that, uh, um, I'm sure it was appreciated uh, by a lot of people. So, yeah, so thank I've you. worked I think that's at amazing. least a partial shift with the staff in every hospital I've worked and I do it on a regular basis, like once a quarter. Yeah or twice a year, depending on how quick, the, but minimally twice a year. I, right. Because I said, in order for me to really understand 
how to make informed decisions as their advocate and support. Right. I have to see what they see and hear what they hear and smell what they smell. And the, the thing about nurses is we figure out how to make it work. And that works. It works for us and it works against us. It works for us because we're able to move forward even when we don't have everything we need. But it works against us because people see that we're able to move forward even if we don't have everything we need. So they won't give us what we need. That's so true. And that so, is so I true. Think the only way I'm going to be able to understand, you know, for example, if we switch out the graduate thing that they empty the urine, we don't know that the thing collapses and they have to use three of them so it doesn't collapse and fill urine on the floor. They're not going to tell you that because they're making it work. Right. But if you go out there and you work with them, then you see that for yourself and you go, you know what? We might be saving on the per unit, but they're using three times as much. So we're really not saving that much. We're going to go back to the one we had before, which works better for everyone. Right. Very true. Um, and I, I think you're, you're right. We do our, we do quite a bit of disservice for ourselves, with ourselves, by ourselves, uh, by making things work. And that's one of the beauties of being a nurse is like you, we make stuff work and sometimes to our own detriment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it happens uh, in everywhere that nursing is just because we are. And sometimes it ha- sometimes I wish uh, nurses did not magically make things happen just because you want to show, you will not only want the right tools and equipment, but sometimes um, like we've had, I've, I've dealt with being in education uh, quite a bit of my career uh, when nurses managed to put things together that shouldn't be together to make something work when and that sometimes causes issues and problems so I'm like very creative but I wish I, I wish some of that didn't happen but I, but you're right it does work to our detriment um, because organizations know we can make things happen and put it because we put into time and energy and our own creative juices into things so coming from a military background I sometimes don't think about you know, the time and energy that goes into things and it's, you know, you need to make sure that you have the right resources and right and being paid fairly and all that stuff that nursing goes through. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that story. That was amazing. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your current role that you have now with ACNL, the Association of California Nurse Leaders. How did that position come about? You know, you were in the hospital setting. Now you're uh, you're heading ACNL. How did that come about? And what what thing? I know you've done things, but I want you to share what things have you done with ACNL, and where do you hope ACNL goes in the future? Well, I retired as a hospital CEO in December of 2019, and my goal was to travel. I was going to go to Fiji and I was going to go to Barbados and I was going to go to Italy and all these wonderful places I was going to go. And then in February of 2020, COVID hit. So the only place I went was to my kitchen and my living room and the office over here. And um, I spent a lot of time with my grandchildren and, you know, hanging out. And that was wonderful. And then, you know, I've been a member of ACNL for over 20 years and I was the president in 2019. Um, so their CEO left and I was initially part of the selection committee and we were trying to find somebody that could, you know, move the organization forward. Well, the concern that I had was that after the longer term CEO left, there was a shorter term CEO 
And during that transition period, things just kind of lost footing a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the organization really could not afford to choose the wrong person. And so I thought about it and I said, you know, I still have some energy. And so I told him, I said, I'm going to remove myself as a member of the selection committee because I'm going to submit myself as a candidate. And so I stepped back from the selection committee and I said, I want you to put me through the same process that everybody else goes through. And you all choose who you feel can move the organization in the direction where it wants to go. Well, I was fortunate they chose me. And so I stepped into that role in February 1st of 21. Um, And, you know, I knew the organization and I felt as if I had a good idea of where the organization wanted to go. So I talked to the board, put together a, a strategic plan, a business plan, presented that to them and they agreed. And so I started, I've been executing on that strategic plan since then. And part of it is to offer virtual offerings because at the time the revenue streams were very thin. In other words, there were like two. There was the face-to-face, classes and the membership. And then there were some other philanthropic things, but they really didn't feed into operations. What I tried to do was expand the revenue stream so that if something should happen and we could not have face-to-face classes, we could very easily pivot into the virtual world. And so we purchased an LMS system and our instructors in the process of learning that LMS system now, we'll probably get that launched later this year or early next year. Um, being very careful to be uh, mindful of the COVID risk. Um, you know, the initial year, we just had, we had a virtual annual program, but this past year we had a face-to-face annual program. So we resurrected that, we resurrected our foundations program, which we, I uh, applied and got a copyright for. Um, we have, I worked with the, um, philanthropy sub, I mean, the philanthropy committee, which is now the philanthropy subcommittee of the board. We got that situated because philanthropy is something that's very important and put together a strategic plan for that. And we're executing on that now. Um, Look at expenses and figured out how we could be more efficient with that because the revenue had been impacted. And I wanted to make sure we had a positive bottom line. So during the year that we did not have much revenue, we did, we finished the year with a positive 14,000, which for me, that was good. And it came mostly from savings, from looking at, at, at expenses and streamlining those. Um, partnerships, um, they're really important. And one of the things that we tend not to do very well, nurses, is to partner with other people. And, and I think part of the reason why we really haven't been able to move on our strategies as efficiently as we should is because we try to do it by ourselves. And so you've got 14 people all working by themselves, trying to accomplish the same thing, but they end up working against each other. Mm. So what I did was initially um, reached out to the Northwest Organization of Nurse Leaders, which is Oregon and Washington. And we have a collaboration agreement. And so we're now kind of sharing services and resources a little bit. There's still a separate organization, 
But if we offer something, their people get a member discount. And if they offer something, get a member discount. So, it's, you know, and then we just, I'm working on a contract with the Arizona Nurse Association to do something similar. There is a uh, university that offered to host the foundations in Arizona. And so uh, in March of next year, we're going to have our first Arizona-based foundation, and we're going to uh, net profit or net revenue split with the Arizona Nursing Association. So there's a partnership there. There They don't have that kind of training there. Right. So why should they create their own? And then we already have it and it's copyrighted. Let's just partner. And then we both benefit. And then uh, UCSF, uh, we have a verbal agreement and they're working on the contract. Instead of ACNL creating and launching its own executive leadership academy, we're partnering with them on their executive leadership institute and we will have an ACNL cohort. Oh, very nice. So, you know, partnerships is something that's really important that I've been working on. And then the other thing is getting that voice out there. Now, ACNL is not the voice of nursing. ACNL equips the voices of nursing. Mm. So we don't want to be the only one that knows what's going on, and we don't want to be the only one that's speaking on it. But what we want to do is we want to train nurses about what's going on with nursing from the academic world to the service world to the legislative world. We want to teach them how to testify in front of legislators. We want to teach them how to write or how to work with um, bill creation and policy development. We want to teach them how to have confidence in their own voice and how to speak uh, eloquently when they do. Because the other thing is a lot of times you know, in hospitals, the most um, difficult relationship in, in executive leadership is between the CNO and the CFO. And the reason why is because they speak different languages. The CFO is not going to understand when we say, well, the ratio, because the ratio, we need X, Y, and Z. They're not going to understand. We say, well, clinical quality requires that we have these people. So we're teaching nurses how to speak CFO language. And how to understand what they, so that when we have those conversations, we're speaking the language that they understand. And then they can then give us what we need instead of saying, well, you get 4.357 FTEs. And you go, oh, well, really? What am I going to do with those? You, you see what I mean? I either yeah. need four or five. 4.357 is not going to get me what I need because if there's a patient in the bed, whether that nurse is fully utilized or not, I have to assign that patient. A nurse. So, you know, we're teaching them that. And it's just, it's, if we equip, you know, the purpose, ACNL's purpose statement is to equip equipping nurses to lead self, others, and systems. And so that's what our focus is. We're stepping away from anything else that's not aligned with that purpose of equipping. And so what you'll see is more uh, expansion of programming. Um, you'll see more, um, modalities of getting that out. We increased our webinars. We increased our podcasts. We took the podcast national. Um, we started pushing information out to the membership. And, and then, you know, I have an internal goal and uh, our president elect have, has adopted it, but I was like, no, no, no. I just said that it's just for me, but it's, <laughs> it's, 
it's 5,000 membership in five years. And they were like, we've never been up there. Well, we've never been at 1,300 either, but we're almost there. The other thing is, if you have a half a million nurses in the state of California, we can't get 1% of them. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of membership, um, you you mentioned you do have about, you do have uh, 1,300 members. what can you, so the audience that listens to this podcast is, is, is far and wide. Um, what is it about ACNL? Uh, because just the Association of California Nurse Leaders kind of gives it the impression that you should be in a formal, and I'm doing air quotes here, formal, uh, like leadership, in a leadership position for you to belong to ACNL. What would be the benefit of, uh, of, um, I, let's say I, I'm Joe, staff nurse at a hospital. Why should I belong to ACNL? If uh, I mean the name alone is 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 a little bit I want to say, and you can speak to this. It's a little bit misleading, but uh, for people that are looking for where should I belong or where should I participate as as a nurse? Because one of the things I learned in hospital leadership is that there are formal leaders and informal leaders. And the ones that get the things done are not the formal leaders. If you don't have the partnership of the informal leader, then the formal leader is not going to get anything done. And the informal nurses are leaders just by nurse, just nature of the fact that they're nurses. So we, the name might be misleading. And I think initially that was the goal of the organization. Mm. But now it's we equip nurses to lead. We don't equip nurse leaders. Right. You know, and that was the reason why clarifying that purpose was so important. We equip nurses to lead. So if you are a nurse, then you automatically qualify to be a member of ACNL. And what we will do is equip you to lead in whatever capacity you serve, whether it's at direct care level or at the CNO or the CEO level. There are leadership learnings that can be obtained that can make us more efficient and more effective at our our learning and get the voice of nursing heard in a manner that it needs to be, but hasn't been previously. Right. Uh, And it's important that, that that we emphasize that piece because I think a lot of individuals don't realize what they learn within these, with, within institutions, like with nursing organizations, is the ability to take those skill sets and apply them anywhere that they feel passionate about, whether it's at a unit level, hospital level, community level, state, national, international, it's all transferable, right? And then the other piece I'd really want to, for, again, our listeners to emphasize the opportunity to network, Yes, uh, the opportunity to network, especially for at, at ACNL, uh, where uh, it's it's a it's it is for the state. It is in the state of California. Right. So the people attending ACNL tend to be mostly from California. Uh, so the, having that ability to network and create opportunities. And one thing that you did mention uh, and I wrote down is uh, you pretty much built your own niche at the beginning of your career when you got called into the principal's office and say, hey, can you do this, right? So you're like, yeah, I can do it. But you you already had a name put out there. That means she knew your name and the work that you were doing, even though 
it, well, it may have been unconscious on your part, other people recognize the work that you were doing. But you were given an opportunity to build your own niche and you not only built it, but grew it and expanded an entire career uh, from that. So I think from, but that was, that was a network. I mean, somebody had spoken to you, other people had heard about you and that's how you got called in, mm -hmm. uh, even though it was uh, unconsciously on your part, but still it's very important that you built that net, you had that network, whether you realized it or not at the time. Building networks is is huge when it comes to if you're looking for. And I know you have a mentoring program. And I want to talk to that to you about that yeah. also. But okay. how you can build these these network of individuals, even though you may not do anything with them tomorrow, maybe a week, a month, a year from now, you can call them up uh, and 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 pick their brain. And I think that's that's so important. Um, in the world of nursing, we we are four million nationally, but we are still a small community yeah. uh, of movers and shakers. So, um, so I appreciate that. Um, two, I had a question. You mentioned the foundations program, and I just want to take a second if you can explain uh, what the foundations program is about. The Foundations for Leadership Excellence program is a week long program where we bring expert nurse experts in. And we teach things from uh, healthcare finance to strategic application of strategic planning concepts to career succession. We talk about human resources, labor relations, um, hospital operations, political and legislative issues, mm. so that they know, you know, how to network. You know, we even teach them how to. Uh, how to build their resume, what the difference between a resume and a CV is, and how to adjust things so that it highlights the skills that they have for whatever job that they're applying for. We learn, we teach them about, oh gosh, pretty much anything, you know, about leadership, concepts of leadership, um, about what's happening in the nursing world and what the, what the future looks like. Um, so that when they leave, and then just this time, you know, even though we had the, um, it was called Life Moxie before, it's called Mentor Lead now, but before they had the option of signing up for mentorship, what we've done recently is made the mentorship part of the program mm. so that they can get that experiential application of the concepts that they've learned and someone is there to walk the path with them. So they're kind of matched up based on where they feel their areas of focus need to be. They're matched up with a mentor who has expertise in that area. And so each one, each of the mentees creates their own learning experience and the mentor that they're assigned to can walk that path with them and kind of offer them opportunities to apply the concept that they've learned. And the mentorship lasts for about six months. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's, uh, I like the fact that it's built into the program and it's not really up to them. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it is, it is up to them, but, but they're, sort of, they're forced into a relationship that is beneficial uh, for, for the outcomes that you're looking for, right? Yeah, uh, a lot so. of times, you know, people will sit through a course. I know me, I'm a, I'm a visual kinesthetic learner, mm. okay? I have to do it. I've got to get my hands on it. And only a third 
of the population are auditory. And so when they sit up and we listen to this stuff, two thirds of the people listening to it, they've got to do something else with it in order to really understand the lesson from it. If we don't provide that information for them, then they're not going to retain. And so what we thought was if we can, let's make that connection now so that those new grooves in the brain and the new practices get embedded. And then that way, the information we've given them is not for naught. They can actually apply this information and put it into practice right away. And then they elevate themselves in the eyes of other people and themselves because now they've been equipped. Right. And that's so, that's so important. I, I, I call that inform, you know, building that bridge that, that, that for the information transfer to actually occur, right? And so many of us attend like conferences and seminars and webinars, and then we come back and we do nothing with it, right? So, uh, so I think that's, uh, that's extremely important. Uh, there, was a, there was a cartoon, uh, um, maybe I, if I, I don't know if I can share it on my website because I'm sure it's copyrighted, but, uh, <laughs> but there's, a, there's somebody, somebody drawing on the board where education happens, and then the outcome is on the other side. And in the middle, there says, it says something like magic happens. Like, you know, that's <laughs> right. Like, like there's something actually, needs, it needs to be purposeful, right? There's something from between the education and the outcome, something purposeful needs to happen for that outcome to happen. But so many of us, like, you know, they, we, we send people to like conferences, seminars, and they come back and we, we paid for it. And they're like, okay, did you have a good time? Yeah, great. Okay, wonderful. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. That's what, and, then you, and then you try to make some change based on what you learned. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're not that excited about what you did. <laughs> but I think we need to be more purposeful. I think people coming back from conferences, they get re-energized. And then some of the institutions we come back to, like, just shut us down because you can't do anything with the information um, other than get CEs from it. Uh, so I think it's, 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 it's important at, at what you're doing because you're allowing that information to kind of take hold and they can actually apply it. And that application of the information is so key to learning mm-hmm. uh, for many of us, if not all of us, uh, I think uh, that, that's awesome. So uh, I wanna be cognizant of your time. Uh, anything else you wanna share uh, uh, with our audience? Well, you know, I think that, that HCNL is evolving. And I'm excited about the direction that we're going in. You know, we're really ramping up our philanthropic efforts. And we just finished doing some recordings where people who have benefited from scholarships and so forth are now coming back and they're sharing how the scholarship helped them to move forward in their career and in their education. And so the people who are donating will now see where their money is going. And so there's just a lot of wonderful things I think that we are doing and that we plan to do, and I'm just excited about being fortunate enough to to participate in this. ACNL, uh, what I'm doing now is where my passion lies. And I'm just very excited about that, because at this point in my life, I needed to do something where my passion lies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I appreciate that, and thank you so much for for the work, Um, uh, because I think... um, you have just, I've, we've had a chance to talk a few times and uh, I appreciate the energy that you're bringing to the organization. Uh, and I'm looking forward to see where ACNL 
moves forward. For all of our listeners, uh, I will have a link to ACNL. You can go in if you want a membership. There'll be a link in there on the website for memberships. Um, and um, and by the way, I have to thank you again uh, for sharing the link to the pot to this podcast, the RN Mentor Podcast, on your website. I greatly appreciate that. Thank you for that and partnership. Make sure the listeners know that ACNL Academia service all other nurses as a whole and some people think it's just service but we are partners with academia we have academic members we have an academic rep on the board so that's yes, if you're a nurse we're there for you <laughs> if you're a nurse acnl is an organization that is right for you because you do you do provide a lot of incredible uh services that's like i said like i mentioned before it's applicable regardless of where your passion is the skill mm-hmm. sets that you learn through acnl um is uh, is uh, is top notch and again it, it crosses boundaries so thank you thank you for that you have been listening to uh dr kimberly long uh, ceo of the association of california nurse leaders Uh, And thank you. This is our final episode of the RN Mentor podcast for season five. We will see you back uh, in August of 2022 for a brand new season. Thank you so much for listening and have a great summer. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.